0: All right. Um, so what we're going to do tonight is actually it's not a tishuba of the Rambam proper. This is a a letter of the Rambam, um, which we are very very grateful to have. You know that was not necessarily available to many people over the years, and so you know we found the Geniza and in various ginezot, we found specifically mainly the Cairo Geniza. We found letters of the Rambam, and so what I'd like to do with you tonight is I'd like to look at two letters. We're not going to read all of it, right? We're going to read the whole letters all the way through. We're going to take some sections of it, and I'll put them up on the screen. Um, And what we're going to do with this is we're going to look at um, some principles that Harambam explicitly writes with regards to how it is that we are meant to treat um, law, uh, adjudicating law, but specifically around leniency, Right. So the reason why I want to use this, these letters is because he speaks directly about when and how uh, we should treat law around leniencies, which, you know, to hear Harambam speak the way that he does so directly, so emphatically, as is, you know, as we say, Kedarko Kodish, right, in his very sure and straightforward way, Harambam, you know, just speaks like that because he's very... Very much that way, and confident of his Torah, he says these things that I genuinely believe. Um, it's are almost lost, and 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 it's a shame that we do not have them in full force today. Um, and it's almost as though I wish, I do wish, right? But my wish is not relevant because it just is a is a you know fanciful nonsense. It's not capable of being done but I wish that Harambam had written these things in the Mishneh Torah itself, but that was not the aim of the work. So we're going to look at these things. We're going to look at these really for no other reason, but to simply hear him say it. Because the point of this series is to be able to see, approach, perspective, thought, philosophy around the relationship to Jewish law and how it is that we should deal with these things. So um, what that means is, is that I will tell you a bit of background with regards to the, the letter that we're reading, but I am not going to get into the nitty gritty halakhic details of it because they are not key here, right? You'll, you'll know enough around the around the letter to be able to know what's being dealt with and how they're speaking about these things. But I genuinely am reading this with you, only to be able to see the Rambam say a few sentences <laughs> in the middle of it, because that's how powerful they are and how, how important they are. So let's get on with this. These letters were, are around a question. There was a question that was sent to the Rambam. We believe, I'm taking this letter from uh, Ravishak Sakhshelat's Igrot, right? He has the growth looks like this. There's two, there's two versions of it. There's a two volume and a one volume one. Yeah, it's usually white, looks like this. Yeah, igrod Aramban put out by, uh, by Ma'ale Adumim, the yeshiva of Ma'ale Adumim. Rav Shilat is a rosh yeshiva of Ma'ale Adumim. I think, I think it's my son Isaac here. I hope that's the Isaac Dweck that's here. Uh, my hey, Isaac, is, is it? Yeah. Hey, hi. Isaac, good to see you. Miss you. So, Isaac is a Talmud in Ma'ale Dumim and he Hidrosh HaShibah's Rav Shelat. So, Rav Shelat uh, posits, he believes, that the person that is writing this question to Harambam was originally a Jew who lived in Egypt, right? Because Harambam is now living in Egypt answering this. Yeah, he was originally a Jew living in Egypt who knew Harambam and he moved to Baghdad. And he asks this question of Harambam from Baghdad. And in Baghdad, right, is a whole rabbinate. And the rabbinate is connected, at least historically, although it has gone through developments and changes, is re- connected to the great yeshivot of Babel that were, you know, around at the time of the Talmud and before and after. So he is considered, he has the title Resh Giluta, right, the head of the Galut, which is a title that was given to the Amoraim, to the great Hachamim who lived, you know, in that time in Babel who lived adjacent with, you know, with Eretz Israel and dealt together with them. There was the Nasi and the Resh Galuta and Babel. But the Resh Galuta, at this point already, was very much a, 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 a ceremonial position. He was a Talmir Hakam. I mean, he was definitely a Talmir Hacham, no question about it. But he didn't see eye to eye with Harambam. And Harambam felt, as I've said many times before, that the Spanish Hachamim, that the Hachamim of Spain were among the greatest in the world, and that their approach was different, the way that they thought was different. So what happened was that Harambam's quote-unquote friend, Talmid, what have you, right? He's not an official Talmid, but somebody who Harambam knows, is asking Harambam a question from Bavel. So he's not asking the Rish Giluta this question. He's reaching out to Harambam in Egypt to ask him this question. What is the question? The question is, is it mutar, is it permitted for us to go in boats or to go in floating vessels in a river on Shabbat? And the reason why he's asking Harambam, is it mutar for us to go into boats on the river on Shabbat? Is because the rabbinate of Babel said it's Asur. You're not allowed to do this. And he knows that in Egypt, they would have people go on the Nile all the time on Shabbat. And in Spain, they went in the rivers on Shabbat. And so he's asking Harambam this question, but in the midst of the question is asking essentially Harambam to weigh in on this halachic question that it seems that the rabbinate of Baveil outlawed. Yes, everybody have the context over here? What's going on? That's the question. So, everything, the whole dialogue revolves around this question Is it mutar to go in a boat or in a floating raft or whatever it is in rivers on Shabbat? Now, just another element of this, which is important, is why would it be asur to go in these things on Shabbat? The only reason theoretically that it would seem that it could possibly be Asur, is because of a that we call Tehum Shabbat. And what is the halacha of Tehum Shabbat? The halacha of Tehum Shabbat is that on Shabbat, there is a limit to how far a person can travel outside of their local place. So there is, meaning essentially outside of the city, this is how the way the Hachamim defined it, there is a rabbinic prohibition and there is a Torah prohibition. The rabbinic prohibition obviously has a closer uh, limit than the Torah prohibition because they want to hold people back from transgressing the Torah prohibition. The rabbinic prohibition is two thousand ama, outside of the city. The Torah prohibition is um, is twelve mil right outside the city. So what we need to what we need to deal with is the question of to whom really. Am I allowed to go on the river? If I'm on the river, is it permitted for me to stay and travel outside the Tehum? That's really at the core of the question. That's really the only reason that it would be problematic, right? There's nothing inherently wrong necessarily with going on a floating thing in the water on Shabbat. The answer that, or one of the elements that that opens the permission for this, is another concept within the laws of Tehum. And the concept within the laws of tehum that is important to know here is that the hachamim say in tehum, asarat fahim, There is no tehum if you are above asarat fahim. So that means that if you are able to float in the air somehow, yeah, and there's details of this, right? But if you're able to float in the air somehow, if you're up here, tehum doesn't apply. Only if you're down within tefahim. Now, on dry land, it will depend how you get up there. Who floats in the middle of, you know, in the middle of the air? Nobody, right? So there's questions. If I have pillars that are a certain, you know, a certain measure, and I step on those, and I hop from one to the other, is there a problem of tehum? But the more important thing is, that's only on dry land. In water, floating on the water, there is no tehum. And therefore, why? Because we basically measure it from the w- surface of the water to the water's floor, to the ground floor of the, of the river or whatever it is. And the likelihood is that, of course, there's that much. And if you're on a boat, certainly there is that much. And so we assume almost automatically that there is some safik, right, but essentially automatically, that if you're in the water, in a river, there is no question that there is no Tihum Shabbat, and therefore the opening to travel as far as you want on water on Shabbat is permitted. The question in rivers is the question, not in oceans, because in oceans nobody disagrees that the ocean depth, I mean, you know, if you're measuring from the ocean floor to where you are, there's, there's no question. Home. Rivers, because they're smaller, because there may be areas where there's very shallow waters, that's where the issues come up. That is the question that was asked to Bam by his, you know, his friend from Egypt. That is the issue that is outlawed by the rabbis in Babel specifically the Resh Galuta. So Harambam writes a letter back to this person answering his question. And he essentially says it's completely mutar. There's nothing wrong with traveling in rivers on Shabbat. So this of course is leaked to the Resh Galuta, And Harambam actually, it seems that Harambam said, you know, you can leak this letter to the Resh Galuta, so that he can see that this is what I've ruled. This is how I've said it. The Resh Galuta receives this letter writes Harambam a letter back saying, forgive me for taking issue with you, but you're wrong. And this is why you're wrong. So what we're going to look, and so what happens, Harambam receives this letter, and Harambam writes back to the Resh Giluta, responding to his letter saying that Harambam is wrong. And it's in that that letter that all the treasures are, right? That's where Harambam starts to talk about how we need to deal with the law and how careful we have to be about making something asur that otherwise should be mutar yeah and he deals with those, this, those those issues in here so what we're going to do first is we're going to look at the initial response of harambam to the primary question right to how what the law is right asked by his his friend okay so bear with me we're going to pull this up there's going to be a few times where i have to share different screens because i've had to take um, scans of this tishuban pieces unfortunately but you'll bear with me all right, so we'll do we'll, we'll start with the first one. Are there any questions up until this point? This should be straightforward. I hope I've explained it in a clear way. No, okay. Okay. So here's the here's the question. Hashela <laughs> al Right, if you are in a, a boat that the goim are running, gedolim in the big rivers, right? Not little, we're not talking about little creeks here. We're talking about big, ri- proper rivers, like the Nile, like Pira, like the Euphrates, like Hideka, like the Tigris. Is that mutar on Shabbat? Shabbat. And the question is, I mean, we've gotten onto it before Shabbat. We're just now traveling on this vessel on Shabbat that is now traveling in the rivers. Is it mutar to do that? So Harambam says, look, in Hifresh, Ben bayamim, by the way, notice, right? This is just a side point. Why is yamim, why is there a dagesh in the mim over here? What would it mean if there was no dagesh in the mim? It's a hugely important point of grammar. Yamim without the mim means days. Yamim with the mim means seas, oceans. And that, and that makes all the difference. If you say yamim, you said the wrong word. You said days instead of oceans. That's why you say yamim. Right? Ul kara yamim. So if you hear about kore who says Ul Kara yamim, you have to stop them and correct them because the alakha is that the corrections of the Sefer Torah only need to be made when the meaning of the word changes because of the pronunciation. And here the meaning of the word changes by what? A dagesh. By just enunciating it properly. So this is Yamim, right? These are oceans, the salted seas, right? The salted waters. There's no difference between the oceans and these kinds of rivers that you're talking about that are massive, like they have huge water, like huge amount of water, right? In it, he says there is no prohibition at all. Isaac.
1: Is there a significance that we say that we got onto the boat before Shabbat? Like, uh, why does it matter that they got onto the boat before Shabbat?
0: Yes, because they don't want people to get onto the boat to get onto the boat on Shabbat. But there's really an issue of rabbanan because they don't want people to start travel on Shabbat. They want people to be resting on Shabbat, so the HaKhamim restrict that. But if you're already on the boat, then there's a question, can I get on before Shabbat? Knowing that I will be on the boat during Shabbat, that's okay. But Mendeorayt is not an issue. So Enbo Kilal is no problem. Ben Al There's no difference whether you're on an actual boat or ship or if you're on a raft. You know, like Tzavar means actual, like, you know, um, beams that have been put together as a raft. Yeah? or anything like it? Hakol Mutar. It's all permitted. Unless the water was very shallow or it wasn't deep enough. So much so, they would have to be so shallow that you didn't have from the surface of the water to the floor right, of the, of the river 10 tfahim, which is about 30 inches. Yeah. In that case, then it would be prohibited. Then you would look at going on that water that's so shallow in the same way you would look at walking on the actual dry land. And then the Isur of Tehumin of Tehum Shabbat would kick in in that situation. But when you have waters that are higher than from 10 from the floor of the river, walk, you know. Going on top of the water, there rotting in the river, rivers and that kind of depth is perfectly fine. <laughs> because there's no isur of tehum when you are above ten tefachim in an area of a karmelit. Right? Karmelit is neither rabim or rechid, which is essentially what we're talking about. And it's because of this that it's always okay to go in the ocean right, in a, in a boat. You could be traveling in the ocean during Shabbat on a boat, right? And again, okay? in any case, because there's always going to be that depth. The question that the Talmud had and said, if the sur masara im lab om namze They were only asking that question with regards to dry land. If you were above 10 Fahim. how do we deal with that? But ba'avir hayam, but on the, the ocean, or in a river where it is a Karmelite for sure, it's not a normal Roshut kelal. As long as you're above 10 Fahim, there's no issue. Okay, so this goes on a little bit, but this is the core answer. Everybody hear this? This is Aram Bam's base answer, and this is what's sent. He goes into more details later. This is the issue that we need to see, right, in terms of our basis. Everybody's got this, yeah? Clear and straightforward. Okay. So now this leaks to the Resh Giluta, yeah. Resh gets this. He says, "Oh my gosh, uh, Maimonides is 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 ruling on things that he shouldn't be ruling on, and he's made a mistake, right? He's made a mistake by saying that it's mutar." So now starts the uh, you know the dialogue. Now there's one line, by the way. Sorry, I'm sorry. I jumped ahead. There's one line in this in this initial letter that even here Harambam Bam says something very important. Right? What does he say? Before we get to the next letter, what does he say? He says, look, you may say that in Bavel, the Minhag is not to ride on rivers, right? In the rivers on Shabbat. Right? What about that? What if, okay, maybe it's not an Isur, but there's a Minhag of the Makom. The, the, the community in Bavel, based on the rulings of their Rabbanim, established the Minhag not to go in the rivers on Shabbat. So that Harambam deals with. And he and he writes as follows, which is also very important. Okay, see? He says, <laughs> The fact that you mentioned, he's saying this to the guy who's asking the question, that they say this is based on Minhag, or some say that it's based on a Minhag. Ha-menhag hu-davar she-sarikh l'hizayr bo-meot. Haram said, look, it's true. Minhag, you have to be very careful with. It's very important. U-be-be-ur amruza. L'chachamim said explicitly about menhagim, D'varim shel-hiter v'aharim nahagu behem isur, e'at harayshu l'hatiram b'fnehim. If you have something that is mutar, but the people uh, acted on it as an isur, and that is the, the custom of the place is not to do it. You are not allowed to open it up or to allow it in front of them. right? So that's people I'm sure have heard that, Kalal, you know, or at least people have been involved in learning. It's a fairly uh, uh, prominently thrown around principle. And Hanabam is saying that it's a very serious principle. And the reason why it's a serious principle is because once you start unraveling things that people have a psychological relationship to as being prohibited, there's a difficulty in being able to differentiate. Once you've been matir something, how do you open it up? You know, now Now how, What? Wh- why is that allowed to be opened up and not uh, something else being opened up? And the layman, who's not necessarily educated, will have difficulty in terms of being able to differentiate or to del- delineate it. But HaRamban makes a caveat, and he says, and he points out that this caveat is explicitly stated in the Yerushalmi, because this principle is brought both in the Yerushalmi and the Bavli, but the, the caveat is made in the Yerushalmi. And the Rambam points out the following caveat, which is a key caveat, and that is, aval צריך litnai שבירוע talmud Yerushalmi you must, of course, remember the condition on that principle of minhag being so important that you're not allowed to allow it in front of people if they've already considered it as being asur. That is, They need to know that that thing is really mutar. In other words, that when you have a situation in which, according to law, the thing is permitted, but they have been accustomed to treat it as prohibited, you do not touch it, and you do not permit it in front of them. As long as the people know, or at least the rabbis know, but the people are supposed to be, you know, the people in in Czech, know that this thing really is mutar. It's just we are accustomed to treating it as though it's asur. If it's really mutar and we know that it's mutar, but it's a, we're accustomed to treating it as though it's Asur, that you don't touch, because that was a conscious decision. Everybody knows the law of the Torah. Everybody knows the Torah permits this. We decided not to do it. That is not problematic. And it's not problematic because it doesn't cause misunderstandings of Torah. Now you're going to see a theme here. This is a very important point, because what Harambam is saying is, we have to be extremely careful, not just in terms of practice, but in terms of perception, what people think about the Torah, and if people have the wrong ideas about what the Torah is matir and oser, what it permits and prohibits, that's going to destroy Torah and ultimately cloud Israel. So you cannot keep something that is prohibited that people think, the people that something that people are considering prohibited, and maintain it that way when they believe that it's actually prohibited. You have to you can only do such a thing when they know that it's permitted and their behavior is stringent but if their behavior they believe they're being they're being they're doing what the, the law requires of them and that's why they're not doing it that's not acceptable and in such a case says Haran Bam, you must tell them you're not allowed to leave them thinking that you must to tell you must tell them right so here take a look at this this is the uh, the rest of it. And forgive my highlights there from my book. So there's certain things that I put. He goes, but if the people that are doing that minhag, if they actually think that the thing is mutar that they are being stringent with, is actually asur from the law, and they keep practicing this isur as though it's an isur, the kolshakin and all the more so. If the reason why they think it's Asur, this is very important, it's a subtlety, but very important. So again, Harambam says, if they think it's Asur, when it's really mutar, and if they think it's Asur, not just because someone told them it's Asur, worse, if they think it's Asur because they actually deduce that it should be Asur by mistake. You follow? Right? In other words, Harambam is saying, it's not just enough that they think it's Asur when it's really mutar is a problem is why they think it's Asur. If they think it's Asur, because that's what they were taught, or they just made an assumption, you're still not allowed to leave them in that assumption. But all the more so, if they actually came to that conclusion on their own that it's Asur, which shows that they were absolutely mistaken, yeah, en ra'oi l'haniham b'otah machshabah b'shum panim. You are not, it is not fitting to let them continue thinking that way in any circumstances, do you understand? you hear this? Any circumstances, Haramam says, "Bishum panim." You're not allowed to let them keep thinking that. Aval, rather, You have to spot to uh, to what's uh, the uh, word? Limhot? What's the word? You have to stop them, right? To be mohe means you have to you have to you have to push against them, literally. And you must tell them that this thing that they thought was Asur is really mutar, according to Torah. And that they're mistaken in thinking that this is this is an Isur. Everybody hear that? Why? Because you should never, ever fasten, firmly establish a mistake. You should never firmly establish and allow for a mistake to be held properly. Likboah is like Likboah Mezuzah, right? You shouldn't fasten a mistake into the lives of the Jewish people. And by the way, says Haramba, there's no difference in this, and he's going to reiterate this later. Ben isura mutar ve'atarata asur. A mistake is a mistake. It doesn't matter whether you're saying something that's mutar is asur, or something that's asur is mutar. doesn't matter what it is. If it's a mistake, it's a mistake, and you cannot allow mistakes to stay in Klal Yisrael that we know are mistakes. This is huge. Very, very, very important. Okay, so that's the first principle that I wanted to show you that Bam says outright, that he's basically saying this person, look, it's very nice if you want to say that it's a minhag, but they have to know that this is a minhag and that it's really mutar. But if they're saying that it's a sur and it's actually ad-din, that you have to stop. So Haranbam is getting involved in the Baghdadian politics, right, legal politics, but he's basically doing in the name of Torah. He's saying, look, I don't care where they live or who's in charge. You're not allowed to keep this this way. Any questions up until this point? Yeah, this is a problem, by the way, because I've experienced this. I literally had people say to me, when I was giving, a, sorry, no, as a separate yan that there's a difference between saying, "Listen, we think people should refrain from doing this," and making a gezerah that people shouldn't do it. Right after the close of the Talmud, we don't have the authority to do that either. We don't have the authority, that's for another time, right? But not for the shiur, but we do not have the authority to establish a gezerah on the people and say, do not do X because you may come to do Y, right? Like the way that people talk about bicycles. I've heard many, many, many times that the reason a person shouldn't ride a bicycle on Shabbat, assuming that a person shouldn't ride a bicycle on Shabbat, is because it may break and you'll come to fix it. I'm sure you must've heard this somewhere, right? So that, that is absolutely invalid as far as Halakha is concerned. Why? That's a gezerah. That is a perfect template for a gezerah. Gezerah is the hachamim saying, don't do X, which is perfectly permitted as as far as Torah is concerned, because you may end up doing Y, which is prohibited. Right. So an example of this, which is a gezerah, which the hachamim did establish, is riding a horse on Shabbat. You're not allowed to ride a horse on Shabbat. Why not allowed to ride a horse on Shabbat? Not because riding a horse is problematic on Shabbat. Torah doesn't say anything about riding a horse on Shabbat. The hachamim say don't do it. The reason why the hachamim say don't do it is because it was easy and likely and usual that when a person was riding a horse and wanted the horse to go faster, they would reach for anything to hit the horse with. And oftentimes they break a branch off of a tree and hit the horse. And that breaking a branch off of a tree, we would push you off a cliff for doing if we got you in the right circumstances. Why? It's an isur Torah. It's one of the 39 melachot. It's tolesh. You're not allowed to break a branch off of a tree that is rooted in the ground. So the achamim said, look, that's very serious. You're riding horses all the time. Don't ride horses on Shabbat because you may come to do this prohibition. You can't say that about riding a bike. Why? There were no bikes, first of all, in the Talmud. And once the Talmud closes, we are not allowed, we do not have the authority to make such gezerot anymore because we, for many reasons, which we're not going to get into tonight, but essentially because we don't have a unified judicial body that is able to do this properly nor a unified people for whom we are making the adjudications and so therefore we do not with the, the the term in in halakha is in gezerot medatim. we cannot make gezerot from our own understanding that is not a direct application of a gezerah from the Talmud, and that's a different issue right what Haram Baam is talking about over here is not even that what han is talking about over here is, listen, there may be situations where the hachamim establish a menhag, right? a behavior for their kahal. We advise you not to do X, which is permitted, but we advise you not to do this. Sometimes, if they want to put some teeth into it, and it was the good old days, what way did the Beit Din or the hachamim have to enforce their requirements or their asking of the of the tzibur not to do something. Can't be a gezerah. So what what tactic did they use? It was essentially a social tactic which had legal ramifications to it. If it was in good old days and proper proper form, how did they do it? Anybody know? Anybody suggest?
1: <laughs> right, which
0: is excommunication. So if you had a cohesive community, and you had a fear of being excommunicated from the community, that's how the hachamim got around it. So they would say, don't do X, because otherwise we will not talk to you anymore. And not talk to you meant not look at you, not sit near you, not bury you, like all the big major things, right? Which, by the way, in the Syrian community, still runs. In the, Jew, in the Syrian community, not only in New York, but very strongly in New York, they do not accept converts to Judaism in the community. And how do they enforce that? Herem. And the herem is still extremely potent because nobody who's grown up in the Syrian community wants to be excommunicated from the Syrian community. And so the intermarriage rate in the Syrian community is less than 1% which has all other kinds of ramifications, and I'm not necessarily advocating for that. I'm just speaking about it matter-of-factly, but that's how they enforce it. And the only way that they are able to enforce it is because of herem, and the herem is profoundly potent in that community because it's a very, very close-knit, strong community. And when you're raised as as being a member of the community, being such a major part of your mindset, throwing someone out is like throwing a fish out of water. And so it still runs, till today in that form. But I have gone off topic, and so I'm going to come back to topic, and we're going to now look at Harambam's response to the response of the Reish Kuluta, having read his initial letter, and writing back to Harambam saying, I think you're wrong, about saying that it's permitted to ride on the, on the rivers, right? So how does Harambam deal with that? So let's have a look. Hmm, yes. Okay, here we go. Oh, I believe this is it. Yeah, okay. Do you see it? a is it there? It's clear? I don't know if it's right. Yeah, it's not. Okay, oh, well, let me fix it for you. Why do you not see it big? Why don't I? Hang on a second. you should. Hold on. A sec- okay. I don't see it, but I'm going to do it again. Hang on a second. Forgive the technical difficulties.
1: Oh, beautiful handwriting, Rabbi.
0: Where did you see my handwriting?
1: There was some on the side on the margins.
0: Why, thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Um, you know, Rabbi uh, Ibn Gabirol, not Ibn Gabirol, Ibn Tibon, Yudha ibn Tibbon. He wrote a, um, a last will and testament to his son. And it's an amazing thing, you should read it, if you can get your hands on it. I have it, but you know, maybe one day you can do it. And he writes to him what he wants him to do. And he says, look, I spent a huge amount of money for your books. I want you to read your books. And then he said, I want you to spend time every day practicing your handwriting because a hacham should have beautiful handwriting. A person has to be careful about that. So anyway, that's just, you brought that up, so I mentioned. Okay, so here we go. Can you see now? you see that? Okay. Right, so this guy, this is Rab Shmuel HaLevi, is the Rosh Shiva. is the Rosh Yeshiva. And he's saying, look, I saw what you wrote to me. Right, that you had written to me over a response that I gave that they had mentioned should be shown to you. And I, I You wrote back to me and I said, look, I shouldn't not write back to the Rosh Gidotah. You know, I have to make sure to write to, to Shokavod. So he says, nam, min natslu. This is great. I put this in because this doesn't have to do specifically with Mutar Nasur. This has to do with the midot of Harambam, right? These, that's why, you know, these letters are so precious. I cannot overemphasize how precious they are that we have them. Because in the letters, you see an aspect of the man that you do not see in the Chibur, right? In his official book. The book was a very professional thing that was written for generations. This is Moses Maimonides writing to the Rishki of Babel, and you see his personality come out. You can still tell that it's Harambam very clearly, but his personality comes out. So look what he writes. Apparently, the Rishki Lutah apologized to Harambam for writing on, you know, kind of taking issue with his halakhic stance. So that Harambam deals with first. And he says, look, Omnam. You know, the fact that you open. first thing I'll say is, you know, the fact that you opened apologizing that you're answering something that I wrote. And you went on and on about it. And you also praised me in your letter. May God bless you and give you reward for all of that. That's, it's so nice you know, that you've done that. And really, I, I hope there's more Hasidim and Ba'ale Musar like you, you know. Now, when Harabam says this, he's not being facetious. The one thing that you need to know about Harambam is that he was extremely careful about his truth. So there were things that he wrote that were true technically, sometimes, and he allowed himself to write those things, even though they conveyed other ideas. But he was very careful about it. So he says, look, I wish there were other people that were nice like you. Shin Sadi right? I'm not going to read that out every single time, but it's like it's like the same thing that we'd say, we would say to somebody of Nunyud Neroyahir or Shlita or whatever it is. This is Shomreu Tsurenu that his 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 the rock should protect him, which is a Kadosh He says, Look, There's no question based on how you've written to me that you think I'm like other people. She Kerov Bnei Adam. That I'm like the most people, <speaking in Hebrew> that they have a really hard time when people contradict them. <speaking in Hebrew> oh if they answer them back. pitaranu <speaking in Hebrew> He goes, thank goodness, God has already you know taken me out of that nonsense. I don't, I don't have that problem anymore. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a hang up of mine when people, when people you know criticize me or whatever it is. But I love how he says it. He says, Pitaranu <speaking in Hebrew> HaKadosh Baruch Hu has taken us out of that, Patar he's exempted us out of it, right? Which I think is a very important thing to see for two reasons. One, if you recall, we had the Teshubah of Rav Kafir some weeks ago, remember? And Rav Kafir said, you know, there was a point there that he made that, you know, either I'm doing it or God's doing it, but there's no two ways about it. And since we have free will, and he went through on and on saying, since we have free will, there's things that we do that don't bring God into it. But that clearly, as I pointed out then, does not mean that HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't help us with everything. And that HaKadosh Baruch Hu runs through us. And that we recognize that it's And Harambam is saying that even the element of his own character that has come to a point in where he no longer is moved at all by people's criticisms or, or you know, contradictions to his words. How does he say? Petaranu Hashem he says, "Hakadosh Baruch Hu has already, Baruch Hu has saved me from it," which implies two things: one, that he recognized that Hakadosh Baruch Hu helped him and blessed him, and two, that he wasn't always like that. He says, "Kvar petaranu Fine, thank goodness, by this time in my life, I, you know, I don't deal with that anymore. It's a way we say, "I'm too old for that." Borea olam yodea. Notice how he brings Hakadosh Baruch Hu into his language. Yeah. He says, he goes, the creator of the world knows. Even if the lowest of my students, the most young, not the young in age, but the, the you know the least developed and most unexperi- inexperienced of my students would answer something back to me. Or a friend of mine, a colleague, or even a person who was against me, trying to get at me. I would be happy with it. If it was true, I don't care who it is that tells me I'm wrong. If they're right that I'm wrong, then I'm happy to hear that I'm wrong. I'll actually be happy to hear it. That they bring me to an awareness of something that was concealed from me that I didn't know. And if it be the matter that, okay, they're wrong, I was right, and I know that I'm right, and the fact that they're answering me, you know, because you could say, well, I mean, if you say that, bomb, then you only don't have a problem with people answering you when they're right and you're wrong. But what if you're right and they're wrong and they're still answering you back? He says, it doesn't matter, even if they do make mistakes. I'm not going to hate him or even push him away which unfortunately we see happen today. I mean there are many people that are big Rambamniks that are so staunchly Rambam that don't behave in his manner. So you say something that is against what they think or you say something that they don't reckon that they don't recognize as being true even if you persist in it, they kill you over saying it. Right? So this Rambam clearly says not the way to be. Right? He says loni's out of lona He goes not only will I not not like them, I'm not going to push them away. Halila vehas and I'm not going to start, you know, nitpose means start grappling grappling with him over the fact that he told me something that didn't necessarily uh, prove to be true. Why? No, why? Because what are we, uh, you know, what do we do? We're doing with our brains. And we know that something is true or not true based on our capacity to be able to think it through. And it happens that people think things through inappropriately. <laughs> what you don't see by uh, the you don't see throughout the whole Talmud that Hachabim will ask questions that are later found out to be inappropriate questions or questions that are thrown out because they don't bring a, a, a truth that is, that is sustainable to the table. There's nothing wrong with that, as long as you're interested in the endeavor. Okay, so a person missed something or whatever it is, that's fine. The only problem I'm saying as a, as a side thing here is when a person really doesn't care about learning or asking or, or thinking, only, they only care about fighting. That's a different issue. Or they need to be right, and it's an ego thing. That's a different story. But Han Abraham is is saying this in a way, right, where he, he's pointing out, Not a big deal at you. You didn't have to go on and on about it. I don't mind. You think I'm like regular people, I'm not. Is yes, not just that, but you know, you mentioned a Gaon who I recognize, you know, he must be very great and he, you know, a lofty individual. And I'm sure that his wisdom, as far as the Talmud is concerned, is as what everybody says about him. And he's also an old, an elder, and he's sitting in the yeshiva. I'm also not going to hold him to a, as a problem in how it is that he related to my, my teshuvah or what it is that I wrote. Why? Because it's not because he was, you know, unintelligent. I certainly won't say something like that because of his lack of intelligence or because he had a problem with memory. He goes, the reason I have an issue is not because he was having a problem with his IQ or his memory. I have a problem with him because he didn't read what I wrote. That's the problem. And he should have read what I wrote if he was going to if he was going to argue with me properly. What he did was he looked very cursorily at what I wrote. And only with the very beginnings of, of study. And because of that, he ended up responding to me in the way that he did. And he's speaking to him in third person. He's talking to him. Now, Now he starts getting into nitty gritty, which we're not going to get into. But Harambam starts to go through bit by bit. And he says, you know, you said I made the mistake on this and that and this and that. And Harambam starts to pull these things apart with him and show where he was wrong. Right? But that's not what I want to do with you tonight. We're gonna to go later into the Tishubbah, but I just want to show you how that, that, that opening line, how Haramba dealt with it. Okay. So what Harambam does now is he says he, he's gone through the halakhic issues with regards to this. But now he gets to other principles. And one of the things that he he deals with, and I think this is so important because we still hear this today. He says, you know, you said to me that you saw none of the Babylonian ge'onim allow riding in the river on a, on, you know, a boat or whatever on, on Shabbat. And, you know, I have to take issue with that, says Haram Bam. And he does it in a very, um, he uses irony Right? He's, he's a sarcastic. He uses sarcasm with it and a very cutting sarcasm. So take a look at what he writes. You know, if that's where you want to go, because, you know, people say that. What? Rabbi so and so said, or rabbi the, the rabbi, or none of the rabbis said anything about this. That's not a sufficient halakhic argument. But Hananbaum addresses that. And he says this He says, Yaduahum Pursam. He goes, first of all, you Know you're talking about the rivers in Bavel, right? Of course, in Baghdad, there's the, the you know the rivers in the middle of the city. He says, look, umfursam shenahar right? That's Seville. He says that the river in Seville, right? Between the actual river and its emptying out into the ocean is about 80 mil. So is a large distance. And ships come in all the time, and they usually are carrying oil. And on these ships, come from the river into the ocean and back, and they travel to Alexandria. And Jews come on it all the time. Notice again, another thing to learn from here. And not just from here, but from the Mishneh Torah. Harambam, never uses the word Jew in his writings. He never says Yehudi Sheh. Always it's Yisrael she. Why? Because Harambam is writing a national law for a nation. And Yehudi is not the name of a nation. It's the name of a tribe within the nation. And the Torah spoke to all of Israel, not the Yehudim. So, Hanabab never ever uses that term. Notice, not used. So he says, Look, Israel, and there's Jews on these boats, right? In English, I'm going to say, because if I say Israelis, you'll think something else, right? So, Israel, Hachamim et al Midim. Hachamim are on these boats. Their students are on these boats. And all the Geonim in Spain are on these boats or were on these boats. He goes, he goes. I remember when I was a kid, they were always on the boats. These hachamim, rabbinu Hanoch, and Moshe Beno, and Yishak Ishak Ben Giat, and Yishak Ben Baruch, and Yishak Ishak al Alachot. rabbinu Yosef, tell me, tell me, dozal, He's going through like all the great hachamim of Sfarad, and he says, "Ume'olam lo nishma me'em You're telling me that nobody said it was mutan. I'm telling you, all of my hachamim never said it was asur. Not to mention all of Egypt. And although I will say, that's not a proof. The fact that the Hakamim never said anything is not a proof. However, the only reason I'm mentioning it, says the Rambam, is, He said to me that the Geonim made it a sur. And all I wanted to do was show that there are other geonim. You're not the only people that have rabbis. Unless, of course, unless, of course, geonim shelanu bavel is a problem, right? Which Har-Ambab, thats the sarcasm. Har-Ambab says, I mean, I showed that I are hachamim also. We have also hachamim. unless, of course, because they're not. Babylonian hachamim—they don't rate. Maybe, maybe the place you know does something to to the people. So, what is he saying? Basically, the same thing as saying, "Well, no, you know, I mean, if you didn't go to this yeshiva, or if you didn't come from this tzibur, or if you're not from these things, they don't rate." Like what? We don't have hachamim. I know that you don't look at the Spanish hachamim the same way, but look, this, this Faradi hachamim may not be the Babylonian hachamim. Uh, the same thing, but why should they be treated any less valuable or important? None of them ever said anything. The reason why I'm bringing all of these things out is because they are 100% contemporary. These arguments are the same arguments. It's just not Babel in Spain. But it is Faradi and the alternative. And that's very important. So Haram Bam is saying, look, I don't know, like, as if we haven't studied. Maybe there's a different approach to things unless a place makes somebody you know more more authoritative or not yeah so he continues and this is this is a huge hugely important part and this is towards the end and with this we will end then Harambam oh here I just okay I didn't put it on I'll, I'll just show you the end of that line right so he says, He says, "Unless you say that you shouldn't listen to the Spanish because of the place that they live." This line, by the way, "hamakom gorem" is straight out of the Gemara and Sanhedrin, that says the Beit Din Gadol does not have the Sanhedrin, does not have full authority if they're not in the Lishkata Gazit, if they're not in the Hewn Chamber on Harabait. Why? Because hamakom gorem, because the place gives them that level of authority and power. So Harambam was saying, I don't know, do you think you're like the Sanhedrin or something? Because the place is not the place that you think it should be? That Bavel is where the authority happens and not outside of Bavel. And this was a major dig because what Harambam was doing was saying, just because you're the Reshqalutah, you no longer hold that kind of authority that the Reshqalutah had once upon a time back in the time of the Talmud. So, yeah, so very, very powerful words. So Harambam then, Continues. And he says this. So he goes through all of the issues. And he says, I really don't find anything that is prohibited. And maybe you're just saying that, you know, whatever it is that you have, is there a question of whether it's the Rabbanan or not the Rabbanan? he says, look, if there is any prohibition whatsoever, which is what he mentioned in the beginning with the shallow waters, or even a safik of shallow waters, at best in its the Rabbanan, And when there's a safiq in the insur de Rabbanan, safik de Rabbanan nekula. So he says more than that. He says over here, he goes, I also want to tell you something in general. Forget about the river per se. There's other issues that are at hand here. Because even if you want to say to me, you know what, we should be mahmir, I'm going to tell you why you should not be mahmir here. And there are several reasons. One is, We know what the Torah says about having mercy and care over people's money. For example, when there's a fire, there are certain things that the Achamim allow a person to do when they normally would not allow them to do it on Shabbat. So we allow them to do what's called Gram kibui. We allow them to put out a fire in roundabout ways. Why do we allow them to do that? The achamim say because a person's money may burn with the house. And if you don't let them do this, which is mutar from Rikar they'll end up doing things that are nisur Torah just to save their money. People are very, very protective. It's a primal urge to protect their money. So hachamim recognized that and they had to protect people that way. It's a normal human instinct that you don't want to watch your money burn in front of you and that you're not going to be able to hold yourself if you're watching your money literally burn in front of you, you're going to go and make an Yisur Torah to save it. So the Achamim tried to stop that from happening and allowed other things that they normally would restrict in those situations. Why does it have to do with running in the rivers? He says, he says, he says, He goes, If you don't let people go in the rivers, there's a reason why people travel in the rivers. It's more efficient. And it's safer. If you don't let people do that, you know what they're going to do? They're going to go on land. And it's expensive. And it's expensive. And if you start making people pay out through the nose in order to be able to keep halakhot, you're going to lose them. <laughs> Not only that, there are times you're going to—they're going to walk in the in the deserts. So they're going to come to literal mortal danger. <laughs> and therefore, because there's going to be damage to their finances, <laughs> You need to be lenient with them in all aspects, in all situations. And make sure you take the most lenient opinion. The kulash of the means the most lenient of all opinions. So that we shouldn't cause damage to the money of Israel, to their finances. Of course, everybody keeps that today. Right? Nobody's ever nobody's, nobody's ever touching, you know, the finances of the Jewish people. We, 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 don't, we don't want them to pay a, a, a penny more than what it is that they, they need to pay. Right? Yeah. So Haramam says you have to be very careful to do that, not to put into danger their financial, their financial stability or their physical safety. And if you don't let them run in the rivers, you're going to cause that. So, you can't be a tzaddik in these situations and be mahmir. Okay? And he says, And, you know, if it were the case that they were equally safe, that you could go in the rivers and you can go on land and they were equally safe, well, all right. But it's not because you get robbed and it's in the middle of places that are very vulnerable and dangerous, then it's appropriate that people should run in the rivers and not on dry land, even on normal circumstances. Forget about Shabbat. It's dangerous otherwise. And then he goes through this whole thing, which I'm not going to read because of time. He goes through a whole thing saying, not only that, if you let people walk on land instead of the rivers, they're going to be prone to a whole bunch of Yisurim on Shabbat that are much worse than they would ever be exposed to by running in the rivers. So he goes through all of that over here. Yeah, And then he continues. And he says, Based on all of this, listen, Like I said before, it is unfit, it is unfitting to keep a person doing an isur, meaning practicing prohibition, thinking that it was prohibited when it really isn't. Forget about the Yirushalmi that I mentioned before. He goes, not only that, there was talking about where people knew that it was mutar and they behaved, isur. And the Yerushalmi says, if there's a mistake, then there's a mistake. But this is what, he said, not only that, it doesn't matter what it is that's the mistake. Like we said before, if it's mutar and you're making it asur, or it's asur and you're making it mutar, it is exactly the same. And this is something that's very hard for people to get into their heads. They think, listen, if something is mutar, but you tell them it's Asur, no harm, no foul. At least, you know, they're not doing anything. They're not, they're not, they're not actively engaging in anything. You tell them, look, relax, don't do it. And what Haram is saying is that is just as problematic as telling somebody when something is Asur that it's mutar. Nobody would ever think to do that, right? Nobody would ever say, oh my gosh, you're telling him it's mutar when it's asur, that's haram. Not allowed to do that. Harambam is saying it's exactly the same thing the other way around. How do I know that it's exactly the same thing the other way around? It's an aberration either way. But I'll prove to you that's the a case from Zakin Mamre. The halakha is that if the Sanhedrin established the halakha, they ruled on a law, and they said, this is the law. And a hacham of his own volition taught publicly against what the Sanhedrin ruled, and told people to do things based on his ruling against the Sanhedrin, what's his penalty? Capital punishment. It's punishable by death for a hacham to do that, for a zaken to do that. Zakin meaning hacham. Does it make a difference whether he said that what the Sanhedrin said was mutar is now asur, or what the Sanhedrin said is asur is now mutar? Makes no difference whatsoever. The only thing that makes a difference is that he ruled against the Bedin. The Beit said it was Mutar. You said it's Asur. Yeah, I said it's a Asur. What's a big deal, Beit You ruled against the Beit You're going to die. I mean, obviously, if we get you appropriately. The fact that it's a death penalty just shows how severe and serious it is. So Rambam is proving it. it doesn't make a difference. Down to this line, uqvar be'arnu she'raoui lehitir lechol bnei adam. All that she has <laughs> And I already explained that it is appropriate to permit this is different than what he said before. Before he was saying if people think it's an Isur, you can't let them think it's an isur. he's saying more than that. He's saying if there is room to be matir for someone, then you must do so to all people. Anything that you possibly can be Matir. This is a klal. Why? Lonatriya. We cannot be overbearing on them. That's why HaKam said to me, when I got my semicha, he said, the Torah says, V'lo sheyamut And therefore you have to do everything that you can to try and be matir. And HaKam overwhelmingly was posseic that way. He had a tremendous kohadah But why? Because we're not supposed to restrict people's lives. That's why. Torah is not there in order to be able to restrict people's lives in situations where it's not necessary. And there are others who believe that to the contrary, restrict as much as possible. Keep people safe. What Harambam is saying, you can't get more clear than Harambam. That's why I'm saying. Now, a person wants to privately be mahmir. he could do what he wants in his private life, as long as he knows what he's doing. That's why, if you remember another shirul, right? Hachamat Lub and the dishwasher. I pointed out to you, Hachamat Lub said, if a person wants to be mahmir and use the dishwasher for meat and milk separately, mutar leahmir. That's why he said mutar because he had to say that, in this case, it's allowed to be mahmir. You hear this? Then he goes on and he says, you know, you said you didn't want to be nitpicky on my words. Harambam says, please, be nitpicky. It's okay. Go pick my words apart. I really would appreciate you do that, rather than looking at it on a surface level. Then he goes on and on to talk about that. But we'll stop there. yeah so these are very important principles and these are principles that are coming from none other than harambam himself but they're in a they're in a they're in a letter they're not in the Mishneh torah but they're nonetheless his handwriting it's pretty powerful when you actually hold a piece of paper with harambam's handwriting it, by the way i haven't told this in a long time you know when i first arrived, when i first came i think it was a year or two <clears throat> after i came I was invited, um, where's the Geniza in Cambridge? Yeah, so I was invited to speak in Cambridge and they knew that I'm a fan of the Rambam. So they got like really special things out of the Geniza to show me, which was very honored, you know, that they, they brought me around. So, you know, I'm walking around, they have all this stuff out, you know, and they have a bill of sale from Maran Right? he was. He saw he, was, he whatever he sold. He signed the bill of sale. Obusev Karo. I didn't say to be, but whatever. And they're showing me all different wonderful things, you know, from the guinza. And then, you know, he he gives me a paper, or whatever it is, you know, some kind of paper in a plastic sleeve. Nothing more. And I'm holding it, and I look down, and I clearly can see that it's bomb's handwriting because when you see bomb's handwriting, you know. I mean, if you know bombs handwriting, it was handwriting. And I said, Well, what is this? And I'm thinking he's going to tell me this was like a letter to someone, or, you know, this was like, you know, uh, uh, also maybe some kind of financial thing. He goes, That's a page from the More Nibuchim. And even now, when I tell it to you, I get choked up. I, I start crying. You realize you're holding the, the actual page that Rambam held and wrote, and whatever page it is from the More that changed my life. He wrote it to me 900 years later and it changed my life. It, it, this man, because he cared enough to put this down, out, it, it impacted me to degrees that very few things did and to be able to hold that and see it. So what I'm saying is, when I, why am I telling you that? Not just for nostalgia, not just for the personal point. Imagine what you're reading here with me, Harambam's handwriting. We have the actual handwritten document That Harambam wrote, was in Arabic, this is a translation, but it's a pretty clear translation. Harambam himself is telling us, these are the principles of halakha. And this is the way of Torah. And perhaps one of the most powerful is, it makes no difference whether you say what is mutar is asur or as asur is mutar. If it's an aberration of the Torah, it's an aberration of the Torah, and that must be recognized. And that's why on Kippur, I don't know if you guys remember we have a vidui on Kippur, the Sfaradim certainly. Yeah. I believe the Ashkenazim have some version of it, but the Sfaradim have a vidui on, the Kippur, on Kippur, where we say, Asher Asarta hitarti, Asher hitarta Asarti. What you said was Asur, I said was mutar. What you said was mutar, I said was Asur. Asher Timeta Tiharti. What you said was Tameh, I said was Tahor. Asher, and on and on, we'll go through all the things, but that's true. So, it's something for us to be able, to, that's why I want to say, in closing, how important this platform is. People think that this is just like a nice cultural renaissance. This is not just a nice cultural renaissance. This is an approach to Torah that reaches the heart of what we believe is the truth and value and and meaning of Torah, which is the heart of our people. And it's something that is not to be taken lightly. It's something that we cannot be bullied into. And that's another reason why I read this teshuvah. And I'm closing the series, my personal teshuvah series on this one, because Harambam was bullied. Of course, he didn't, he didn't respond to the bullying. He didn't let the bully, he bullied him back. But the Resh Giluta was trying to pressure Harambam into changing and Harambam, that's why he wrote those cutting things. he was sarcastic. He wasn't just being sarcastic for the sake of being sarcastic. He was defending against the self-consciousness that he saw would ensue as a result of those tactics of whatever you call it, elitism, superiority, so on and so forth. Control. And it is also one of the reasons why he wanted to fight so strongly for the hachamim that he knew, the ones that he spoke of. So there you have it. It's an important, very important letter and an important principle that properly runs through our Hachanim. And you will have seen, that's why we, 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 we learn many. We went from Harambam, in terms of time, all the way down to Rabbi Hayim Haim Levi, Rav Kafer and Hamavadiyah. <coughs> there is a line, there is a, there is a genetic, you know, or you maybe want to call it a mimetic, right? A mimetic tradition that runs across our derech. And what we're trying to do here in its nascent stages now is ultimately to be able to build a robust home for this derech to be able to be not only taught but lived and understood and put out in the world. So I I really thank you all for taking the time and I thank all of your dedication. I specifically thank, you know, Sina and Avi for their, their work, tremendous amount of time that they take and the focus that they have on being able to facilitate this and bring it together. Uh, though they're not here, I thank all of the teachers that have been contributing up until now uh, for this endeavor because this is a serious endeavor. It's not just a nice project. It is a serious, important endeavor. And we need to support it with everything that we have. We have to support it with our time. We have to support it with our mind. We have to support it with our finances. As Baum said, we have, to, we have to support it with our, our words, with our encouragement, it requires support because it's fledgling and because it's been dormant and because it's been bullied and because we are self-conscious. And so that has to be pulled out of the of the tar. You know, there's a beautiful line in Tehilim. It's mentioned twice in Tehilim where David HaMelech, he says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, ha, mitit on, mitit pulled me out of the tar pits. So that's what we need to do and we will. And on that note, I hand it over to Avi Darsin.
1: Wow, um, so powerful Rabbi. And, and I think it, these principles that we've just gone through throughout the series is um, so contemporary and uh, relatable and relevant and to all of us. And it's, I think it's a great foundation that we can build on. Um, and I mean, what you just spoke about the is brilliant. There's not much I can add, but there is one thing I can say, which is I wanna thank you for, for, for this amazing series, but, you know, the Chaburah is great and I think we're going places, but it wouldn't be possible without your your input, your your guidance and um, your advice in all matters. And, um, you know, that that's so important to all of us. And I think I can speak for everyone that, you know, we're already looking forward to the next series and, and building on this. Um, and, you know uh, peace god um it will go, will go from strength to strength and uh, we will be in touch sina and i with regards to um our future projects the next curriculum and uh we'll take it from there and just remember everyone that um it's all uploaded on our youtube channel so you can do Chazara, and i think it's it's well worth listening to them again and um yes please go have a have a, a lovely week i don't know if Rav wants to take a one of those i think is one one question maybe or if not we can run out of time um if, if not, i think we i think can. it's worth reminding everyone just that next week we've got professors vizoha very very honored to have Professor vizoha back uh he'll be giving a class on the former chief rabbi of rome and egypt uh so please please make sure you come to that because that will be we're very honored to have professor vizar um, so yeah that'll be next week okay brilliant good okay night, good night everybody thank you everyone thank you everyone thank you everybody bye bye